all of them are lesbians. It's yeah. called Ocean's Eight Lesbians. <laughs> Ocean pulls out his eight lesbians. Yeah, I'm Ocean. <laughs> Jay and Robert. I'm Jay. And I'm Robert. One More Thing is a podcast celebrating LGBTQ plus pop culture. That's not, that's not it. That's not the line. Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Jay. And I'm Robert. Welcome to One More Thing. Nope, that's not it. Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Robert. And I'm Jay. Ooh, that That sounds weird. Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm, I'm, nope. (laughs) Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Jay. And I'm Robert. One More Thing is a podcast celebrating pop culture through an LGBTQ plus lens. We have a variety of things to talk about today. People are always asking us like what movies to see. And so we thought we'd sort of put together a list of movies that came out this summer and are coming out in the fall and are like available now on Netflix or Amazon or whatever that people should see that are like queer movies. Mm-hmm. Some that we think deserve more recognition, some that have deserved a lot of recognition and gotten it, some that we think don't deserve as much recognition as they got. The first one, though, isn't canonically queer. Yeah. But... Yeah, it was like the lesbian hit of the summer. The movie that all the lesbians loved of the summer. Yeah. And gay men, too, really loved it. Oh, yeah. It's like everyone's dream, really. We're talking about Ocean's 8. Well, it's a big lesbian movie because it was sort of never canonically stated, but it was like very heavily implied that Kate Blanchett's character was a lesbian and she and Sandra Bullock were like exes getting back together. From the first trailer, everyone was sort of like, ooh, they're clearly together and they're getting back together and Kate Blanchett is riding a motorcycle, so she must be a lesbian, which I have my own problems with. I'm kind of like 60-20 or 60-20. On the one hand, I totally see what everyone's saying. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like that makes sense. Amongst all of those women, like one of them is going to be gay, at least, especially like statistically. Yeah. Queer in some capacity. Yeah. And especially they all live in New York City. Yeah. And they all come from such different backgrounds, which is a part of all of the Oceans movies. It's truly just a census. And I think sexuality is something that is like vastly missing from the Oceans series. So I'm like, oh, great. This will be a very easy way to do it. However, okay, so this is where I get divided. If she were to come back in Oceans 9 and have a husband, I feel like it would clash. Yeah. However, I also don't want to say that like just because she dresses that way and has a motorcycle means that she's a lesbian. Because then that just cuts out all of the like heterosexual women in the world that identify with that character. It's weird to be like the Kate Blanchett character must be a lesbian and none of the rest of them could be lesbians. Where like Mindy's character is on Tinder and they don't ever say like she's swiping men and her mom is like, when are you going to get a husband? And she's like, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And that's as much romantic conversation as her character has, which is just as much as Kate Blanchett's character has. Sarah Paulson's character is the only one who's married and she's married to a man, but we never see him. To say that Kate Blanchett's character is a lesbian because of the way she dresses is sort of like, well, I don't ride a motorcycle. I don't dress like that. So like if I was in the Ocean's 8 lineup, would you be like, eh, not that one? Mm-hmm. You know, you have a lot of like hyper feminine women in the movie. And yeah. then you have these two butcher characters being Rihanna and Kate. Uh-huh. 
but only Kate is being like yeah. gunned down as the lesbian character. That's true, yeah. And then you kind of have Aquafina, and she kind of goes in between the two yeah, through the whole movie. She's sort of like soft butch. Yeah. But even like in the slow mo sequence, which was in all the trailers when they all are walking into the Met Gala, yeah. even though Rihanna is in that like beautiful red dress, she still is like exuding this like butcher personality about yeah. her. Well, and I also thought one of my like well moments about Ocean's Eight <laughs> was the dresses they put them in were sort of we're not even pretending that they're not just playing themselves in this you know yeah helena's yes because she was like wearing a dress that looked like anne hathaway so it was like oh you know she designed both of them i did not believe for a second that rihanna's character would wear that enormous red ball gown i was like that's what rihanna would wear the met gala this character would probably wear a suit especially since they were so specifically picked out for those people because sarah comes in with the cart and is like this one is for you and this one is for you design wise you can tell that anna winter had no idea what the characters were yeah, she was just, just had like, the sizes and the like actresses yeah and we're just like all right i'm designing this one for her then and she was like oh okay blanchette sure a suit my problem with their dresses not to have a conversation about the dresses but they actively knew what the theme of the met gala was and yeah. none of the they were just like really pretty ball dresses yeah when it came down i was like and so yeah. how is that yeah. in the theme of royalty <laughs> exactly like if the theme is royalty and Kate blanchette shows up in this green snakeskin suit even a non-famous person at the met gala you're still going to be like how is that in the theme? Because the whole point of the Met Gala is the theme. And, and if you don't want to stick out, which they didn't want to because they were undercover, don't wear something that doesn't fit the theme. Yeah. To be fair, Sarah was working. Well, no, if Sarah was working, she should have been in costume. Anna Wintour always dresses to the theme. True. Which also, why didn't Aquafina just stay in her waitress? Gosh, like, why did she? Does she come back with a dress? Yeah, they all come back with dresses. Remember, because they, like, pull off the heist completely, and then they're right. like, well, now, now let's go to the Met Ball. And, have fun. and it's like, well, is no one going to be like, wait a second. If I was at the Met Gala, and Aquafina had been serving me all night, and then she shows up in a gown, and I saw her, I'd be like, wait, isn't that our waitress? <laughs> I also think if anyone other than Kate Blanchett were playing that role exactly the same way she played it in exactly the same costumes, it wouldn't have gotten anywhere near as much, like, she's a lesbian. It's kind of like how Timothy Chalamet and Armie Hammer right now are still in the queer eye. Timothy Chalamet was just like, (laughs) he was just like on the cover of Paper Magazine for his movie where he's playing a straight guy. And even though he is straight, he's like held to this certain level. The same thing kind of happened with Kate Blanchett, but no one's talking about it. She's played a lesbian a couple times now. Mm -hmm. And I think people just also just like a lot of lesbians are like really into her. But I think if it was, I'm just trying to think of another actress who is her age that also wasn't already in well, Ocean's well like if it were sandra bullock if sandra bullock were playing mm-hmm. that role i don't think Fair. anywhere near as many people would have been like she's a lesbian i would have because <laughs> i am in love with sandra bullock but like right. i think people were just like oh it's Kate blanchett wearing a suit she must be a lesbian mm-hmm. which i think is unfair to the fact that there is an openly queer actress in the oceans eight mm-hmm. who is in a relationship with a woman if you haven't heard we're talking about sarah paulson Kate blanchett sort of gets the limelight of being the lesbian in oceans eight when it's like well there's actually a woman who is dating a woman in the oceans eight and, and who is also in carol oh yeah <laughs> also in carol i forgot about that yeah and it's just like completely glossed over yeah they said in it well no one's queer in this one but maybe if we make an oceans nine the ninth will be mm-hmm. a queer woman which i would like because if they just sort of don't make Kate blanchett the gay one i think it would be cool if the ninth one comes in and is a lesbian yeah and they don't just do it because everyone is saying like i would love if laurie metcalf walked in and like was a lesbian character. What? (laughs) 
Why Lori Metcalf? I thought of her in, you know, that show. Roseanne? Yeah. I mean, I have my own pick for I want the ninth in Ocean's Nine to be, but I think if they were going to bring in a lesbian character, I would want it to be a young, cool lesbian. Aquafina young? or Because I think they, they definitely need a bigger age range. Yeah. <laughs> Ocean's 100. She's like an old woman. <laughs> Helen Mirren comes in God, <laughs> and joins the team. Crazy. I would love it. But I think it would be cool if it were like a young girl who like joins them. Mm. Not like a 12-year-old. So like Emma Roberts, if she like comes in. No, not Emma Roberts. She wouldn't be good in it. No, but like that, like yeah, but like that, that age, that age where she's not a teenager, but she's just not like younger than Aquafina. Sandra Bullock. <laughs> yeah, just to sort of like skew it younger a little bit. Oh, oh. who are you? Gonna I'm say? very curious if we have the same Wait, person. We don't. What's her face from The Edge of Seventeen? I was gonna say that Haley. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say her or the main girl from One Day at a Time. Oh, she would be really. She has good. like snappy Ocean's Eight energy. Amy from The Leftovers would be great. That's she would be. Great. She would be really good. <laughs> Obviously, whoever they bring in will not be white yeah and so i think it would be good for them to like sort of check two boxes and be like she's not white and she's not straight check it out you know <laughs> what about i hate to say their name again but um amalda amalda amelda do you mean amandla yeah <laughs> god amandla stenberg <laughs> i think it would have to be someone latina interesting because oh, yeah. if they want to like show that they really are committed to diversity it would mm-hmm. be cool if it was someone latina or if it were someone who's non-binary mm-hmm. i would love if it were someone disabled oh what about asia asia k dylan mm-hmm. yeah or lauren ridloff oh yeah anyway my ideal oceans nine who isn't a young person and probably wouldn't play a lesbian is octavia spencer that would be great because i want her to mm. stop playing like moms and nurses and i wanted well to... you know if she was cast in oceans nine she would be a mom and a nurse yeah <laughs> i was thinking about this last night for a reason that we'll get to shortly but she plays the same character over and over and she shouldn't be because she's so good at other characters mm-hmm. i mean obviously we all know why she plays this same character over and over right but before the help um, <laughs> i mean let's just say it she plays the same character over and over because she's a black woman who won an oscar for playing a slave was she a slave or was she she was just a maid just a maid well a maid in the south so yeah but before she won that oscar on ugly betty right that was so brilliant and she plays betty's dad's caseworker for immigration Mm -hmm. you find out that she's like not actually his caseworker she's a con artist who's like in love with him and ends up holding him hostage and goes crazy and she just plays this like totally crazy woman and she's so good and i want her to go back to playing like zany roles i would love for her to play the one of the Ocean's Nine who's like, let's shoot the guns or something, like the wacky character. This is my pitch for Octavia Spencer's agent. Well, let's put a pin in Octavia Spencer. Don't do that. She'll get hurt. <laughs> Can you imagine? We have voodoo dolls of all of the actors we ever talk about. We're like, well, let's so just, let's put a that's pin actually in. not a bad idea. <laughs> we would have a million voodoo dolls. But let's hold off on her because we're going to be talking about her, I assume, a lot later oh, in this yeah, episode. Oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> it feels like Ocean's 8 already has a big gay following. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think it is about an all-female character? There are gay strong... people who go to the cinema? <laughs> what, does it really? That's great. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter love from it. the uh, gay I love it. And that's, you know, people have asked us, who would you like, you know, is the next person for Ocean's 9? And we're like, the nice thing about our inclusivity and the diversity that already already exists is... The, all different the, types of women. All different types of transgender. I, I think, you know, it's a different time. Guess what? We'd like to see movies that reflect what's real mm. and what exists and what our world looks like. I could see someone like Laverne Cox joining Absolutely. the team quite easily. Yeah, She's pretty fabulous. Let's move forward to Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. You say that was so, like, let's talk about this movie we've been waiting months <laughs> about. 
So we went to a press screening a couple days before it came out with friends of the podcast, Tom Phelan and Kira Benton. Benton? Benton? Benton and Megan Burnett. And Megan Burnett. I was getting there. I feel like there's a lot of share in my life right now from having seen the share show this and share dropping new music later this fall. Yeah. There was a hole in my body where share hadn't been and now shares there why wasn't she there i don't know like just in the past couple of years i haven't been like constantly thinking about share oh i am always the entire movie i was like so where's share i think that it's wild that they only advertised the second half of the movie like w- the moment when <laughs> sophie's like oh yeah i'm pregnant and has the yeah. little bit with her dads about it it's fully like an hour oh, and 45 minutes into the happens. movie <laughs> yeah but that was like the start of the trailers yeah. so i was going in like oh we know she's pregnant and we know all this is happening and, and that's just not about what the trailers say nope so not that it was mismarketed but i was constantly wondering when things were going to come up yeah and so then when Cher eventually showed up i was like oh there must be another 45 minutes to this movie and yeah, then and it then ended and i was like wraps up real quick which makes me if there is a world where we get a mamma mia 3 i would really want it to kind of leave all of that behind and be about Cher's character basically the same thing that mamma mia 2 did but in mexico with <laughs> with fernando yeah so like a young Cher and a young Fernando. Yeah. My question about it though is, is there enough ABBA music to make? I mean, in Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, they use like four songs that were in the first one. So I don't think they're holding themselves to like a strict rules. I would love them to do Under Attack, which they keep cutting. <laughs> yeah. Literally my favorite ABBA song just keeps getting cut. It's so rude. It was during the, the, during the song you were like, oh, oh, here it comes. It's Under Attack. And then it just and like. And then it, it's just playing in the fucking background at a party. I did like the background scoring of it. Me too. And how it was sort of like an Easter egg where you could be like, ooh, it's that song. Yeah, it was, and how it was I did think it was cute how the way the background music was used was sort of a wink at the first one. Yeah. The scene in the car where Sophie's driving back up to the... Hotel. Yeah. And Chikatita is playing in the yeah. background. And it's so faint. And it's like a different orchestration where the melody is being plonked out amongst yeah. like a grander score. And when Under Attack is playing at a party scene where she's talking to the three dads and Sky. But what a wild movie. My one problem with it, aside from... The problems with it? Right, aside from <laughs> the like real problems with it, including the plot makes no sense, yeah. is that it's like three and three, three men, three women. Mm-hmm. And all three women get like a love plot line and two of the men get a love plot line. And then Colin Firth is just sort of like, me too, you know? It's just like, oh, and Harry's here. Yep, there's so. a bit during, I can't remember if it was Dancing Queen or Super Trooper or what it was, but he ends up dancing with Christy Baranski. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's very forced. It's kind of like when Ryan and Kelsey dance together in High School Musical. I don't. Or, oh. <laughs> Ooh, Sorry. Which ones are It's those? the gay guy and the pianist. Basically, the gay guy and the, and a character that he doesn't interact with gotcha. end up dancing together because they're just like the seventh and eighth yeah. person in yeah. the group. And then it turns into canon because they are paired together so often that the writers are eventually like, well, I guess we have to like put them in a scene together. But that's how it felt. I was like, well, I'm sad well, about this. to me, I was like, oh yeah, of course Christine Bransky's dancing with the gay guy. <laughs> gay guy. I was confused as to why they set him up at the end of the first one 
on with a love interest yeah and then get rid of it but keep the Bill, other yeah, keep yeah. That they and rosie at least like the plot line yeah and never explain it yeah and they acknowledge like bill and rosie were together for a little bit but mm-hmm. then it didn't work and they're never like and harry how's your love interest there's an opportunity for it when he has the scene that starts off very crazy right the japanese scene yeah where he's kind of like oh family is all that matters yeah where they could be like and now he doesn't have a family because yeah. that guy left him or he has a family but he doesn't get to see sophie he only gets yeah. to see his husband or like they don't have a daughter like something which if there's anything that mama Mia too here we go again does really well it's explain things very quickly so <laughs> they literally could have done it in two sentences the guy could be like you have a daughter right and he could be like yes and ever since my husband left me gotta go <laughs> yeah done it's as unfair as something that you pointed out that i didn't even notice amanda seyfried's friends weren't in it yeah and they're just never gone. explained and, and never never even mentioned even at the beginning when she's like oh no my no one can two make of it. my dads can't make it she could have just been like and lisa and Allie are gone <laughs> <laughs> yep they're too busy with their kids and their yeah. lives to make it back out to greece or plot. they could have even been in the giant dancing queen number where the fucking sticks lady has a cameo uh-huh. like she's a tiny part and lisa and Allie don't even merit mention it's really weird and then also when we meet harry in mamma mia he is an openly gay man who is comfortable with his sexuality and has a partner in the musical he has a partner in the movie he doesn't yet the last we see of young harry is that he's still hung up on young donna and then we like fast forward to gay harry and i would have loved if there was at least a moment after he's with young donna where he's like oh wait now i'm a gay man Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know there's just a great opportunity to add in some sort of not a coming out story but just like even an illusion yeah which is sort of what they do with that post credit scene and they do it like the tiniest bit where the ticket taker says to colin firth like age has done wonders for you sir and colin firth is like thank you and it's like a little bit flirty but there could be just some tiny moment where it's like harry's trying to get to donna and then a man helps him and he's like or uh, i would love if like while he's standing on the dock during that song and he's singing out to the boat if like another, another guy comes up, comes up yeah. and there's just like a little moment between them and it's never explained and they just move on that's all i want yeah just something to cling on to yeah in my ideal world the mamma mia cinematic universe expands mm-hmm. greatly mm-hmm. and i would love spin-offs about certain characters like i would love a harry spin-off of mm-hmm. him coming out because i loved the guy who played young harry i thought he was so good i would really want it to be a christmas movie i don't know why but i feel like that character would do yeah. really well at christmas oh yeah well it's like a spin-off where it's before he meets sophie mm-hmm. but it's after he meets donna and he's like a lonely straight guy clerking at a business office <laughs> Isn't he a banker? Yeah. He's like working at a bank. It's Christmas time and he doesn't have anyone to go home to. And then he meets a nice man and they like fall in love over Christmas. And he's like, but I'm not gay. And the man's like, you are. And then he's like. So it's Carol. Oh my God. I just got a letter. That's so crazy. My ex-girlfriend, Donna. Oh, that would be so good. Like origin stories for all three of them. And all of the movies end with them getting getting Sophie's letter. letter. That would be really sweet. Oh, I'm into that. If you haven't seen Mamma Mia 2, here we go again. I feel sorry for you. (laughs) Whoa. Not a single fairy. Can't be serious. I made it all the way from Stockholm, spending I don't know how much on a private plane. You can't tell me now I can't make it the last few miles. What? Time has been most cruel to you, sir. Your hairline, it disappeared. Your face, it collapsed. I would suggest we swim for it, but perhaps not. And at our time of life? Sir, in your case, age becomes you, as it does the tree, the wine. And the cheese. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're not so bad yourself. Yeah.
the next two movies we're going to talk about sort of together because they're both video on demand. You can literally go watch these movies right now. So the first one is Alex Strangelove, which is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And the other one is A Kid Like Jake, which is on what? Amazon Prime? Or yeah. Something? It's probably going to be on Netflix soon. Yeah. It's a very Netflix movie. Yeah. Alex Strangelove. I cried. I really liked it. I, I think too. it had everything that I really liked about, wait for it, me, him, her, tied up in like a better written, nicer movie. And I also liked the way that it handled the bisexuality gay conversation. Yeah. It's about this boy named Alex True Love, who is a senior in high school with a girlfriend who he's had for a long time. And they're so adorable. Yeah, I liked them. When they're together before like the plot happens, I was like, this is what I want. He wants to lose his virginity to her and she has already had sex and she's been like trying to have sex with him. And he keeps saying no. And then he's finally like, okay, let's do it. And then right before they're going to do it, he meets this guy named Elliot and they sort of fall in love. And he sort of has to figure out what his deal is. Elliot's hot. Just throwing that is out he, there. Yeah. And is so is... Alex? Yeah. Is he hot? He looks like... Um, He's very cute. Andrew Garfield. Like, if he walked in the door right now, I'd be like, when are we getting married? But I'm not like, I'm gonna fuck that guy. Basically, he sort of tries to figure out whether he's bisexual or gay or, like, what his deal is. And he has friends who sort of are, like, along for the ride with him. And there's a side plot where his best friend and this girl... It was actually, like, one of my favorite teen movie plots that I've ever seen was Mm. the friend and the girl from The Leftovers. Basically, the best friend spends the whole movie, like, trying to get with this girl, and she keeps being like, no. And then she basically, like, tricks him into telling her where he and Alex are so that she and Alex's girlfriend can go spy on them. And then she gets there, and he's, like, really upset. And she's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, look, I know that you don't like me and I do like you, but that's not an excuse for you to treat me like shit. And she's like, yeah, you're right. I fucked up. I'm sorry. And I just really like that sort of subversion of the teen drama trope and that they sort of both had to change to be with each other. I think it's a great movie, but I think that not a lot of people are watching it. I know that my friends have watched it, but I feel like it just kind of came out and then dropped off. It definitely didn't really have any sort of marketing. Oh, yeah. Other Netflix films get a really heavy marketing push, and this just sort of, like, came and went. Yeah, where it really could have done well. And it's also very funny. It's really good, yeah. Like, the bed where he eats all the gummy worms. Yeah. I was laying in bed, like, snickering to myself, which it w- I w- was not expecting. Or the scene where Alex is, like, trying to teach himself how to have sex, yeah. and he's, like, looking at the little teddy bear. At the, yeah, it's like a little monkey. Yeah, and he's like, I'm just gonna, like, rub your nipples, like, a little bit, like yeah. this. And he's doing it to the monkey and then his parents walk in. I was like, this is some raunchy stuff. But it's not sexualized in the way that, like, American Pie is sexualized, if that makes sense. It's not like a late night comedy. Gotcha. Sexy jokes. Yeah. It's like, look at these teenagers being super awkward and it's hilarious. I will say I hated the end. They, like, make a coming out video and then it zooms out and there's, like, a million coming out videos. Didn't like that. I did, like the ending with her. Basically, he realizes that he's not straight and ends up through, you know, plots of the movie, breaking up with his girlfriend and not even really to be with a guy, just kind of figure stuff out and ends up screwing a lot of stuff up. And it, I think it was the best plot line of someone being broken up with for that reason. Yeah. Because it never felt like it was fully his fault or that it was fully her fault. It felt very real. And then when they had the conversation later and then the scene at the dance. I liked that. I just thought the ending was stupid. It literally made the whole movie completely It's like 
point for me. It was an ending of like, we're not sure how to end this, so we'll just sort of show this. Yeah. Also, like, if you haven't gotten what we're trying to do so far, here's exactly what we're trying to do. If you watch the movie, there's like a prom scene and then it sort of cuts out and then there's another scene. Just don't watch the last scene. Yeah. Because it will make you hate the movie. Yeah. It's a confusing time, man. I mean, everywhere you look, someone's omnisexual or polyamorous or genderqueer or transitioning into God knows what. And before you know it, you turn into Sydney. Hey, Sydney, are you into vagina or dick? I'm attracted to the person. Whatever the fuck that means. Sorry, Sydney, I'm sorry. It's like Mad Max out here, you know? Guys doing guys, girls doing girls. Not that I object to that. Girls turning into guys and doing girls that used to do girls and guys. Ah! Isn't anyone just playing straight anymore? And then A Kid Like Jake. Yeah, which was also video on demand. Yeah, starring... Jim Parsons, Claire Danes, Priyanka Chopra, Mm -hmm. Octavia Spencer, Mm -hmm. Amy Landecker, and Dowd. Anish Sheth from Southern Comfort at the public. Okay, so basically A Kid Like Jake is about Jim Parsons and Claire Danes have this child who is assigned male at birth, but sort of is on a spectrum of queerness or transness Mm -hmm. he's going into kindergarten from preschool so whatever that is and i think you're six when you go into first grade sure so like three four yeah and so claire danes and jim parsons are trying to like figure that out and there's a whole subplot of jim parsons like researching trans issues Mm -hmm. and there's like a trans woman working next to him as soon as she popped up i was like oh, cool, he's going to befriend her and they're going to, like, talk about this and maybe she'll be, like, not all trans people are the same. But then that's not her plot line and she's in the movie for, like, one minute. I thought it was a weird missed opportunity. For sure. But I also thought that it was interesting that they never commented on the fact that she was trans. I was like, cool that they cast a trans actor in a role that is not about being trans, but also... This is kind of the movie where you could do that that, and it would be okay. That's what I wish they had done. Also because it's a whole movie about figuring out trans issues where they never just talk to a trans person. Mm -hmm. I really liked it. Me too. I forgot that I actively love and hate Claire Danes at the same time. I only love her. But at the end of this movie, I was like, Claire Danes is a great actress. I was annoyed. My sort of problem with the movie was that they never just talked to Jake about it. Mm -hmm. They're having these big debates and he's old enough to know there's a whole scene where he's like, I want to be Rapunzel for Halloween. And they talk about how he's asked them why men don't wear dresses. And Jim Parsons says, they said to him, like, in some parts of the world, men do wear dresses, but like society doesn't like it. And Octavia Spencer was like, why don't you just tell him that men can wear dresses? Mm -hmm. And they were like, Oh, (laughs) good question. I wish there had been a scene where they were like, hey, Jake, here's what gender is. What do you think? It was the first time that I've seen in any kind of media, a non-sexuality, like very gender-based conversation happen around a younger child. Someone that wasn't able to like fully acknowledge the world around them themselves. Yeah. I mean, this is like a loaded question, but like, what do you think should have happened from the get-go? Honestly, if I, God forbid, ended up being a parent... the way that I would want to like raise that child would be not to be one of those people who don't raise their child with gender at all because I think that's sort of a harmful thing to do to a child in a world where like gender does exist and it's hard on that child to pretend that gender doesn't exist when it really does but Mm -hmm. I would from day one as far as I know having not spent a lot of time with children you have to like teach your kid what a boy is and a girl is and just from day one I would be like some people are neither it's not just boy and girl I'd be like there are all kinds of genders not avoid 
avoiding the conversation, but also just being like, this is something we can talk about when you're ready. I don't know, it really sort of irked me through the whole movie that they were treating this kid like he was just like a lump. Mm-hmm. It, like it was impossible to communicate with him. I didn't understand why they couldn't just have sat down and been like, hey, so... A lot of boys don't wear dresses, but you do, and that's fine. But do you think you're a boy who wears dresses, or do you think you're a girl? Because when you're three, you can have an answer to that question. Mm -hmm. And that answer might change, which is fine. I thought it was interesting that they didn't label Jake as anything. Yeah. And I couldn't tell if it was on purpose or not, because I also couldn't tell if the two of them were quote-unquote woke or not. Yeah. I was like, oh, so they're cool with this. But then we also saw them not be cool with it. And like, there's a scene in the movie where they're picking out Halloween costumes and we see Claire like going to get the Cinderella costume, but also like kind of tentative about it. So I was like, where are you on this scale? I also thought that it was cool that the dad in this movie was played by like the highest grossing gay actor. Yeah. Currently working. Pretty much of all time. Yeah. (laughs) My favorite moment in the whole movie was when he's like, okay, I'm not going to talk about this. And he starts to walk out the door and she's like, maybe if you ever threw a ball with him mm-hmm. like he wouldn't did you just get chills yeah me too i loved that part <laughs> and he just like stops and really slowly turns around and comes back and is like that is a horrible thing to say i actually got choked up watching that scene because i was like it does mean so much more to see a gay actor saying this mm-hmm. than it would to see like chris pine saying it or something you know yes <laughs> i was so overcome by it the I... last thing to say about this movie is octavia spencer is in it which is why i brought yes. her up earlier let's take the pain out of the movie yeah. at all <laughs> that was the reason that she was at the forefront of my mind, even though I have wanted her to be my Ocean's Ninth for a while. Because, again, she was just, like, the calm peacemaker. So she basically plays a career counselor for toddlers. But then there's a truly shocking moment about an hour and ten minutes in. They're talking about whether or not to label Jake as trans, basically. And Claire is like, I just wouldn't want it to feel forced on him. And Jim Parsons is like, don't say that. And Octavia Spencer is like, well... Do you think that my sexual orientation? And I was like, what? <laughs> when she said that, I was like, wait, did I miss? Did I did I miss? She something? had definitely never mentioned it before because I had literally earlier <laughs> been thinking like, why is everyone in this movie straight? Mm-hmm. And then she said that, and I took a picture of my reaction. Oh gosh, head over to our Instagram and oh, <laughs> that'll be the first thing on it. <laughs> And so in the conversation of her not playing a maid or a nurse or a janitor, when that turn happened, I was like, okay, this is maybe a step up. Yeah. It's a it's a little step. It's like that half step before the full step. But here we go. <laughs> yeah. But everyone go watch A Kid Like Jake and Alex Strange Love because you've obviously seen Ocean's Eight and Mamma Mia by now. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't there a danger of imposing Imposing what exactly? No, not 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 imposing on that that was Greg, Alex, do you think my sexual orientation has anything to do with my advice regarding your son? What? Judy, of course not. Because every time I try to bring up my concerns, you respond like I'm pushing some political agenda. And let me tell you, the impulse to embrace children as they are is not an agenda. No. I, I know, and like I it or not, said. you two have some choices to make here. There's a problem. If you don't believe me, just read the feedback yourself. He's acting out verbally, physically. Yes, and maybe, maybe he's sick of us of pushing him into this this role. Alex, you can't expect him to never realize he's different. No, but I can wait until he tells me himself. But it sounds like he's trying, but you're just determined to ignore. I am not ignoring okay. it. Jesus. Okay. Okay. Maybe if you'd ever had your own kids. You know what? <laughs> We're done. 
So now we, surprise, have an interview mm-hmm. with film critic for IndieWire, Jude Dry, a.k.a. Rude Jude, mm-hmm. who we are going to talk to about some other upcoming movies. Yeah. My name's Jude. They, them, theirs, pronouns. Identifies queer, dyke, faggot, whatever. Gender nonconforming. I don't know if, can we say dyke? Yeah, you can say oh, yeah. whatever Great. you want. <laughs> film writer for IndieWire, queer culture critic, and uh, hopefully entertaining podcast guest. Recently, there's been this kind of resurgence of queer film that's been mass marketed. Stuff like Carol and Moonlight and Call Me By Your Name and Disobedience. Do you think that this is Hollywood and mass market studios kind of taking a step forward? Well, none of those are studio films, so they're all independent. Wait. I didn't know that. This is something I had to learn on the job as well. (laughs) Because, like, I think if you're not, like, in the film world, you don't realize. Like, a studio film would be, like, Marvel, Disney, Paramount, Sony. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Carol Moonlight, Call Me By Your Name, and Disobedience were all indie movies. But they had wide theatrical releases. Yes. And they all, obviously, Moonlight won the Oscar. They all did very well critically. Wait, so... So they were mass marketed, but they were still indie films. But they were still, like, they didn't have, like, institutional support. Technically, anything that is not made by one of the five major studios is an independent film. Wow. Even if it has, like... A twenty million dollar budget. That's crazy. Yeah, and they, all the studios have these imprints, like so A24. Sony Pictures Classics, mm-hmm. Fox. A twenty four is its own thing. It's not related with a, to a studio. I don't know anything. <laughs> no, I know. I my, do a whole. My coworker used to have like a chart by his desk, and I found oh, that would very be so helpful. helpful. Well, anyway, so these are queer movies that are being mass marketed, though, mm-hmm. as opposed to like Duck Butter, which had the like two weeks at whatever East Village Cinema and like nothing else, which I'm fine with. <laughs> It's definitely different than the new queer cinema of the 90s. I was actually interviewing John Cameron Mitchell today, and he was saying that gay films are not weird anymore, and that even young people, like, don't seem to, you know, like, when he was a kid, it was, like, cool to be weird. You know, all the John Waters heads and whatever. And so I I think that it's harder for, like, a weird queer film or, like, a super avant-garde or subversive queer film. I think we're not seeing a lot of those. But yeah, I think definitely there's reason to be optimistic. It feels like every day there's another... I mean, this is my beat, and I so I get forwarded all these things, and like, I have too many things. Like, I can't even keep up with every gay character on TV. I, you know, and I'm supposed to be covering this whole thing. And it's like, even I have to be choosy about what I'm going to, you know, invest my resources in. And How do you decide what to stick with? I mean, our film team is based in New York, so I f- mostly focus on film. But if there's, uh, like, a queer character on TV that I'm really hearing a lot about, I'll check it out. But, like, it's just, like, what I like. I mean, in, when I first had the job, I was like, oh, I have to wa- cover all these things. And it's like, no, you're a critic. Like, people want to know what you like. So if I'm watching The Handmaid's Tale and there is a queer storyline on there, you know, that's more interesting for me to cover. And it's also, whatever I write about, it's going to be more interesting than if I am force myself to watch Billions and write something about it. Although I will and should do that (laughs) what do you think (laughs) makes a good queer movie okay leaving aside like the queer theory stuff just like a gay movie okay so i loved disobedience i think sebastian lelio's a genius and i think it was two straight actresses who really had chemistry yeah yeah. and i haven't seen like making out like that hot in a movie like i cannot remember the last time oh my god and i think carol's a beautiful film but i don't think it necessarily moved me i'm kind of like a populist with my movies like I just want to be like moved because I grew up like going to the theater with my mom who's very like we would like walk out at intermission if it was bad you know (laughs) throw your scarf Uh, over your neck yes exactly and at like you know the community players of Middlebury Vermont like we would just walk out (laughs) 
<laughs> we were like such snobs. Wow. Anyone in Vermont? Yeah, it's like my mom trailing like me, a little six-year-old. And we're like, oh, this just the pace is too slow. <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, like I really heart. I want in a queer film. I want to feel like a sixteen-year-old, like seeing the L word for the first time. Like it sounds so cheesy, oh. but I really I want to like if you're giving me romance, I want I want to feel it. And that was my issue with Carol was just like I mean, first of all, I just like don't get Rooney Mara at all. It was just like, there was, it was just so cold to me, like their romance, like a beautiful film, you know, like an excellent everything else, but as a lesbian romance, like just not, I don't care if those people like get it on or like stay together. I just don't hmm. care. And Rachel Weisz and Rachel McAdams, you're like, oh, she touched her pinky, oh you know? Yeah. It's like, and that to me is so lesbian. I mean, I'm going lesbian here, but I think the reason queer people are so obsessed with queer film is to see themselves represented. And I guess I look for the same in gay male films. Sure. Like it's not going to move me quite as much, but like Weekend is a great example where you're just like really rooting for those guys. Guys. I wish there were more like lesbian comedies. There, I think there are a lot of great gay comedies. In general, I wish there were more queer comedies. Yeah. Like The Birdcage is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. In and Out is great. Yeah. This kind of like 90s mid-budget. That was when studios would make like mid-budget movies. And for some reason, like the tent poles and all the superhero movies have kind of just crowded that out. Studios don't make like mid-level movies like In and Out anymore. Or The Birdcage. That might In and Out might have been an indie, but so yeah, funny and romance. Hmm. You know, everything else like good script moves along not Um, cheesy have you ever been in a theater and been like oh there i am oh my god tomboy by celine shiama yeah is one of my favorite oh yeah i mean i did that it's so it's about a little genderqueer kid they move to a new town and her name's lore but then she just introduces herself to all the kids as Mikael. Hmm. And it's like a summer before school, so like she doesn't go to school yet. And it's just this summer time. And one of the best like child actor, child characters yeah. I've ever seen. And I did that. I mean, I did that in, on a family vacation. I told this kid that my name was Jonathan and he like thought I was a boy for two days. It was like the best two days of my life. So that, yeah, that was definitely a moment of... Oh, and like when I was younger, Boys Don't Cry, obviously, which was sort of traumatizing. Interesting. But again, I owe a lot of my taste to my mother, but she would take me to things that were like, and I could always watch R-rated stuff. But I was probably about like 10 or 11 when that movie came out. And we sat down and my mom was like, oh, you're definitely the youngest person in this theater. And I don't think she read (laughs) what is the Brandatina story about, you know? Feels like she probably didn't if she took her (laughs) 10-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, until the ending, that movie's actually really fun. It just takes a real bad turn. Right. Has this ever happened to you? You suddenly come into some extra money. You're thinking, man, I've paid my rent. I've bought my food and I've got five extra dollars this month. What am I going to do with it? Well, have we got news for you? You can take that $5 and you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash one more thing. And you can give that $5 a month to your trusty friends, Jay and Robert. And with that money, if you give us $1 a month, you'll get a bonus episode every month. It might be us, I don't know, what do we do with those episodes? We fell in love once. We talked about our favorite people. For $5, you get a video every month where sometimes we cook food. Sometimes we play games. Frequently we play games. <laughs> and all for the low, low price of $5 a month. Can you believe it? And by the way, at $5 a month, you get both the episode and the video. What more could you want? Honestly. Honestly. What more could you want? So as promised, duck butter. Who uh, promised? 
<laughs> I didn't agree to talk about duck butter. It was made with a guy. Or it was well, like conceived with, conce- with, with a guy. And then and she was like, this actually doesn't make sense. So let's change it. And then it was turned into a film, which I feel like we've seen in TV a lot. San Junipero, same yeah. thing. Charlie Brooker, the only real ally, was like, you know what? Could be two women. And Atomic Blonde. Was written for a man? No. Um, or the other... Charlie's, Sophia's role? Like, yeah, Sophia Boutel. was a straight side character. And then Charlie's and the writer were like, maybe they fuck? And like, maybe they're lesbians? Oh, I remember you. And it was Charlize's idea? Yeah, <laughs> she was like... She may have been like one of the producers on it as well. And been like, this doesn't make sense. I think they need to fuck. And then she was like, it's as if... It, actually, in all of these cases, someone has been quoted with being like, it's as if this was what was always supposed to happen. Yeah, and we just like realized mid-production. Yeah, Alia said that about duck butter for sure. My issue with duck butter is that it's basically like Manic Pixie Dream Girl just with oh. lesbians. But it's the character that they turn into a woman. Oh no, it's not. No, because Alia was supposed to be a man, I think. Or no, no wait. It's it the Sergio character because the, the name is Sergio. Oh, yeah. right. It's the other one. I, I thought that too. Yeah, I actually think it would be like you would have avoided the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing if it was a guy. It might wait, have been kind not, of interesting. Yeah, now that I know that, oh, because I like that less Alia now. Alia said, I didn't want to film about men versus women and focusing on masculine slash feminine kind of thing. Also, I didn't really want to see a penis on camera. <laughs> Same. And how many, oh, and how many times a guy can come and have sex with a woman. These are things that I think was distracting for the story. Robert, are you reading from my interview on <laughs> yes, I am. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. She didn't, because it's the whole thing is like, we're going to have sex for 24 hours. Yeah. Every hour. Which, first of all, like, when you're first into someone, like, that's not that crazy an idea. That was my big problem with the movie, is I was like, why are they so proud of themselves for this idea? And they don't even really mind the huge I feel like there's one time where it's sort of funny because they're fighting yeah. and they're like we haven't had sex in three hours but I feel like there was no like I feel like they could have played with like the constraints of the challenge a bit more because they're yeah. never like oh timer gotta fuck yeah, now like, I wish that wasn't a long one scene like that would have been kind of funny but they don't do it it's just like they just have a lot of sex in 24 hours which like maybe doesn't happen all the time but you know I think we've all had experiences like that yeah so the idea is that they will speed up get through all the mess of a relationship in one like 24 hour window super intense and they do that starts out really fun and then they start fighting and then someone starts feeling smothered and then they like cry and like then they meet the mother and then they kind of make up it's sort of like all the stages of a relationship in in a single day. I mean, it's an interesting concept. It just didn't work for me. I thought it was going to be more hijinksy than it was. Yeah. Because it's like, it's a wacky premise. And Kate Berlant is in it. Yeah. Well, yeah. underused. She's underused in everything. Lyle was going to, you know, we had seen Victoria. We're talking about her for another part. And then once we had Skyped with her, we just realized she was Sergio more than anyone. So it's like, yeah, we made it into a woman, but it was like, Lyle was Sergio. So that's what changed it. And then it solved all these problems in the script. All of a sudden we're like, great, we don't have to see a penis on cameras much as we didn't want to anyways and just like all these things much just like didn't want to <laughs> and it wasn't about like men versus women and male dynamics versus females like we'll never figure each other out like that's right. not what the story was about it was about two people and by it being two women oh, right. it so... cleaned it up so i'm gonna just go through a quick list of all of the movies that we have to look forward to this year and i just want to get your like candid take on them cool uh so the first one that i really I put first because I need to know more about it. Yeah, he really wants to see this. <laughs> is Ideal House. Ideal Home. Oh my God. Home. Okay, so Ideal Home is Steve Carell and Paul Rudd, and they play, I've only seen the trailer, I haven't seen it, but they play a gay couple. Uh, it's like an Auntie Mame kind of thing, and like this kid shows up at their doorstep and says he's his grandson. He's, um, did I say Steve Carell? Steve Coogan. So sorry, Steve Coogan. So they, he says that he's Steve Coogan's grandson. And the trailer looks really fun. I think I build it in the trailer right up as like the return 
return of the mid-budget studio comedy. Is this the kind of movie, going back to what you said about you wish that there were more uh, like lesbian comedies, if this was a lesbian couple, this is the kind of movie that you would want? Yeah, I mean, I wish there were more gay comedies. Well, we'll see if it's any good, but... (laughs) (laughs) And then we have The Wound, which I know nothing about. It came out at Sundance. It hasn't had a wide release yet. Oh, really? But it's getting one in 2018? Yeah, (laughs) it's getting an American-wide release this year, and it is on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime. The Wound is a South African film about a... I also haven't seen it, but uh, it's like a a ritual, sort of like a circumcision, rite of passage, becoming a man. And I think within that, there's this sort of like gay love triangle. I think it's probably not a comedy. Vita and Virginia. What's this one? Do you not know oh, about this? Oh, no. Okay, so it's about Vita <laughs> oh, Sackville Oh, yes, yes, Vita Sackville Yeah, and Virginia Woolf. Elizabeth Debicki yes. plays Virginia Woolf. And Gemma Arterton plays Vita Sackville West. And it's just about their relationship. I have no idea whether this movie is going to be good, but I do know that I will see it 100 times. Yeah. <laughs> Who's directing? That's a great question. I think it's a woman. Chanya Button. Not familiar with her work, but we're about to be. Oh, because it's her first big movie. And also, Isabella Rossellini is in it, which is great news for me because I love her. (laughs) (laughs) Playing Vita Sackville West's mother, whose name is Baroness Sackville, (laughs) which is a great drag name. Okay, so here's one I have seen. It's Wild Nights with Emily. I've never heard of it. Which is about gay Emily Dickinson. And it's about her love affair with her sister-in-law, Susan. It's directed by Madeline Olnick, yes! who did Foxy Merkins and Codependent Lesbian Space Alien Seek Same. And I love it. It's it's so campy. It's so funny. It's with Molly Shannon. Yeah, it's Molly yeah. Shannon as gay Emily Dickinson. I'm shocked. And it's really good. I almost never read other people's reviews, but I then read this Hollywood Reporter review that was kind of like, this movie takes as fact, you know, what is mere speculation. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have like considered that. But I don't really care. Madeline done a lot of research on it and she basically like whoever this woman that I'm forgetting her name but Amy Simons plays this character that Mabel yeah Mabel who is the first like publisher of Emily Dickinson's poems and after Emily's death she sort of like created this narrative of this lonely spinster who was antisocial but what the movie posits is that she basically just didn't like this Mabel girl and so like was (laughs) antisocial like around her and Mabel was fucking her brother downstairs so that's why she wouldn't come out of her room when they were you know, whenever Mabel was around. Whoa. So there's all these little things and I think it thinks a lot about history and like, you know, historiography and how this legacy has been built and and then there's a little bit of like, perhaps, you know, Mabel was right in that her poems were read, more widely read because this this narrative, this like lonely spinster was sort of sexy to people at the time. So they lived next door to each other. If it's to be believed, like Susan's daughter years later came out and said, my mother and my aunt were lovers. My mother only married my father to be closer to Emily. They moved in right next door to her. It was all like this plan so Susan and Emily could be together. And they were friends since childhood. And <sighs> Which, you know, people know this about Emily Dickinson, but it hasn't really been like widely embraced by academia. I think it was so interesting that she was sold to the public as some spinster recluse who was so reserved, when in reality she was aggressively trying to get her poems p- published. She had a lively romantic life. She was funny. It's just at that time it was very hard for her. She was up against Higginson played by Brett Gelman and he was giving her notes on her poetry and she 
she couldn't get published. He favored um, this other poet, mm. Helen Hunt Jackson, who made rhymes and talked about sweeter things that were a little more digestible. So I just found the whole story so fascinating, you know? Why people need to make women like they're some kind of vict broken-hearted yes. victims. Yeah. Right, that right. that's easier for us to digest yes. Yes. versus a woman who's really not that at all. Yes. And, and driven and hungry to make it and yeah, yeah. for this time kind of going against what's expected socially of a, whim, of a woman and how she should behave. Adam, I think okay. that's still in process. Oh, you have something to say about Adam? I'm actually an extra in Adam. <gasps> and I did a set visit <laughs> and I, I'm very into the book. I know a lot of trans people find it problematic. Yeah. I find it like totally brilliant and subversive. I'm with you. It's about like the cis teenager who goes to live with his queer sister in the city for a summer. And he is a teenager, so he basically looks like a trans guy. And this girl like assumes that he's trans and he realizes that he can just like convince everyone he's trans and then he dates this girl basically and so obviously we can see why it's problematic he manipulates this girl into dating him you know under false pretenses but he like learns everything about like the different surgeries and he has yeah. to like read up on all this trans stuff so that people will believe him and he like wants to be in this community so much and for me, as like a trans masculine identifying person, it was, you know, and I have not medically transitioned, do not plan on it. So I can't fully speak from that perspective, but I do identify as trans masculine. And for me, it was so validating to be in the head of this character who was cis, which for me is like kind of the disconnect, like the dream from childhood is like, I wish I was born a cis boy, right? But then you go through this process, or I did at least of like, oh, but then I wouldn't be queer and I love being queer queer. So for me, there is this kind of disconnect between like wishing I was born in a different body, but then being glad that I'm queer. And so it's like you kind of get the best of both worlds in this character because he is a cis boy, but he's like hanging out with all these cool queer people and he wishes he were queer, which is also very radical to me. It's like because it's always the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. And trans is seen as this like bad thing. Like why would anyone want to be that? But it's like, oh no, like this boy who supposedly has it all like actually wishes he was trans. But I know a lot of trans people who like hated the book. And it's written by Ariel Strag, who is a lesbian. I've read a lot of like angry discourse about it. I, I don't think Adam is like a protagonist who you're meant to aspire to be. Like I don't think at any point in the book, it's like, and all of us now should coerce people into having sex with us because like it doesn't go well for him. There's not like a happy ending where he and the girl get together and live happily ever after. But also for me, there I, I think the reason that it really sort of struck me as a book that has stayed with me is that it's about, to me, it's about like wanting an identity that is impossible, which I think is sort of like a universal queer experience. I don't know, you, I, I agree is what I'm saying. And Reese Ernst is directing it, who is a trans man who worked on Transparent. It's his first big feature. So I think they'll dodge a lot of criticism with yeah. that. And I know the producers was conscious of that. Um, we'll see, and Margaret Qualley's in it. We love Margaret Qualley. Yeah. We're big Margaret Qualley fans. Have you seen Girl? I have not, no. Oh. I didn't go to Cannes. I haven't seen Girl. There's a lot of good queer movies apparently at Cannes. Yeah, yeah. Rafiki. I actually heard Rafiki was not You heard it was great. bad? Rafiki is a Kenyan director, female director, lesbian romance that went to Cannes. 
for the listeners, but I haven't seen it. But it's weird because it reminded me a lot of Love, Simon. Stay with me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because a lot of, at least from what I've been hearing, having never seen it, as a lot of movies that we've been talking about, it seemed like people were mainly mad that it was just like a paint-by-numbers queer romance and that it was just very basic. And then what I took from that was, well, yeah, like, of course it is. It's coming out of Kenya. Right. It's the first almost anything to come out of Kenya like this before. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting that it's being met with a lot of praise, but then also a lot of people being like, yeah, but it's an awful movie. And there's this weird line of like, do we praise it because of where it came from? Or do we criticize it like the film that it is and say that it's bad? Where do you think that line is? Right. I think there's this tendency to just be like, well, it's gay. Like, great. I mean, I have no patience for that. I only care about good movies. But I don't think movies are just like agents for social change. Like, I think if we're only chasing that, we would just have a million love Simon. You know, there's a reason, like, whenever I try to pin someone down, like, talking about Moonlight as a queer film, like, anyone in the industry, they'll just say, like, well, I don't think that it is just a queer film. Like, it's so much more than that. And as much as I sort of, I like when people identify as queer, like, and I like when movies, like, proudly wear their queerness. If you're trying to reach a straight audience or whatever, change minds or whatever we think representation is going to do for us, which it's kind of unclear if it actually does, to be honest, you know, it has to be good. But at the same time, it's like, okay, maybe like a Trump supporter will see Love, Simon. and But I don't know. Like, I just don't know. I guess, like, I think trans visibility, seeing trans actors on screen is is good. Probably will help people, like, be like, okay, that's normal. I don't know. Maybe I'm too, I'm just, like, too gay to, like, care <laughs> if, like, a straight person, like, learns anything. But I'm not sure that, you know whatever like we're in this current political climate i'm a lot of those like roseanne doesn't think she's homophobic but she's or she may not be you know she has a lot of gay friends she's she's even like said that she's like dabbled in it but like it's still it doesn't really at a certain point like you have to do more than just not be homophobic if anybody wants to find you, oh, yeah. where can they oh, go find plug you? Plug yourself real quick. You can find me Jude Dry at IndieWire and at JDry on Twitter or at TheyJude on Instagram. Yeah, I'm in a, a web series called Dinette. It's coming out on Brick in the fall, directed by Shana Feinberg, female filmmaker, all, all women and non-binary cast. Uh, so watch out for that in the fall. Hey listeners, it's me, Jay. I'm here with my friend Robert. Hi. You're currently listening to us talk about something. Probably you're sitting there being like, wow, I love this podcast. This content is amazing. I wish I could have more. Well, you're in luck. Because if you go to Twitter or Instagram and you type in one more thing with an A because I was taken, you can get so much more content. You might be thinking, man, I wonder what's going on on Grey's Anatomy. Head over to our Instagram, you can find out. You might be thinking, hey, I wonder who's running for re-election in the Senate. Head over to our Twitter, you can find out. That's a promise I don't know that I can deliver on, actually. But we can deliver on the Grey's Anatomy because it's been on for 14 seasons and still trucking along. Yeah, also you can go to Facebook click on One More Thing Podcast. And you can use Twitter and Instagram to tell us what you want to hear about. You can just tweet out One More Thing and be like, I want you to do an episode about whatever, and then we'll be like, cool. (laughs) And now back to the episode. Our game this week is we are going to trade phones and look at the other person's recent YouTube searches. Okay, so your first one is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Fair. What's way hot? It's the lesbian couple on Winona Earp. And then your next one is Tony Awards. Just Tony Awards? Just Tony Awards. (laughs) 
Oh, I was looking for Waving Through a Window that from the sense. Tony Awards. Because before that, you searched Dear Evan Hansen Tony Awards, and before that, you searched Ben Blatt Waving Through a Window. It's not online. <laughs> I was so mad. Jimmy Awards medley number one. <laughs> specific because they dropped the boys one but not the girls one and the boys one is montage number two and i'm like well then where's one (laughs) i'm very mad at jimmy awards here you've searched jimmy awards medley 2018 so you're really looking for this medley (laughs) i've reached the end but i'm going to go to your watch history what's why i left school and (laughs) how i dropped out of school why i left school is emma chamberlain right or is it morgan adams why I left school is Emma Chamberlain and then Morgan Adams is why I dropped out of school. Yeah, so I watched Emma Chamberlain's Why I Left School video. And it's then, a 13-minute video. Yes, and I watched the whole thing. And then the recommended video was Why I Dropped Out of School by Morgan Adams. And then I watched that whole thing. I love watching vlogs where people talk about sad terms their life has taken. There's a lot of Mamma Mia happening here. Here you watched a 46-second video from Dear Evan Hansen at Arena Stage. Oh, Super Trooper, Cher, Meryl Streep, Mamma Mia 2, here we go again. Oh my god, there's so much Mamma Mia. <laughs> That's all from today. Oh my god, there's there are so many guys. I know, I like white male vloggers. They're comforting. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of women on our... Yeah, because they had a sex scene. I was trying to find it. I like when you clearly are trying to find the version of a song you want to hear. And so it's like four versions of Apex Predator from Mean Girls. <laughs> Naya Rivera spills the tea on Ariana Grande. <laughs> <laughs> Could potato skins get rid of your gray hair? They did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Ho- oh, you, you got into a pit. Holiday artichoke dip goes terribly wrong on air. Martha Stewart weddings. Morning show hosts lose it when weatherman. Oh no, the Martha Stewart weddings one is because Wendy Williams says her age on air and then she calls her out for it. And it's like, I didn't want anyone to know. Naya Rivera clears the air about Leah Michelle. Mm-hmm. I was just checking in on all that. <laughs> oh wow, you've really gotten into the Jimmy Awards here. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I got like attached to all of them. <laughs> they have so much optimism on life. Oh yeah, the Spy Who Dumped Me trailer, that mm-hmm. tracks. The truth about Takunin, Takun, huh? Tanakon. Oh, Tanak! <gasps> it's a crazy documentary. It is 34 minutes. That's part one of four. It's what? Amazing. It looks like amazing. a you gotta scripted watch it. vlog. No, you gotta watch it. It's so good. The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants movie trailer? No, the whole movie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it is two hours. Amy Adams uses her mom voice on red carpets and the thumbnail is her with some cleavage. <laughs> Are you sitting it to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Sutton Foster talks working with and kissing ex-husband. I'm literally looking at that on your watch. <laughs> he surprised her with a brand new car. Yeah. Her car was stolen. Yeah, and then later he surprises her with a car. Oh. <laughs> Vanessa Kirby. God. Oh, here we go. Lay all your love on me. Three different versions. Sandra Bullock on being a cheerleader in high school. Mm-hmm. She also start, was a dancer at a gay bar. That is very good. You make me ba- Bangladesh? Ba- ba- Baladish? What is that? Watch it. What? What is that? Oh, there are four videos that follow that that are just her saying that. No. It's Little Mix and she's trying, they're like pulling accents and they have to like do the accent and one of them pulls it. Oh. Are you? Oh, my <laughs> What is she trying to say? No, no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that you watched this many blogs. Like listeners know that I am scrolling past hundreds of vlogs <laughs> just being like, that's a vlog, that's a vlog, that's a vlog. I love 
vlogs. <laughs> How do you keep up with this many? Because I watch them like while I'm cooking or like while I'm working I, when I just like need sound. Oh, this, this is a vlog that's 32 minutes long. How did people get mad that our Leah Michelle video is 40 <laughs> minutes long when these people are just talking about nothing for 30 minutes? For the number of vlogs that Robert is scrolling past, that's how many like different versions of the same musical theater song <laughs> I'm scrolling through. Oh, Rude Jude. And that brings a full circle, a Rude Jude video. Oh yeah, there we go. There we go. Well, now that we've been recording for five hours. Yeah. No exaggeration. We're literally into our fifth hour of recording today, so stay tuned. <sighs> Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you to Jude Dry for being our guest this week. Thank you to Tessa, our producer. Thank you to Megan. Thank you to 440 Studios. Thank you to Stephanie Hawkins for the pictures, our Patreon subscribers for keeping us alive. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. I actually sat beside Rachel McAdams once in the theater, behind her. Sorry, I sat behind her in a theater. We made eye contact. (laughs) I was reading my playbill and I felt her turn around and I waited and I decided to look up and she was looking right at me. It was awesome. It was actually August Osage County. Oh my, whoa. (laughs) The story works. (laughs) And in the middle of the show, the moment when the uncle like touches the niece's face, she like audibly gasped. (gasps) She was like, oh, I think she actually said, oh my God. I love her. Obviously, if it was anyone else, like, it'd be like, shut up. Like, we're in the theater, but it was her, so it was fine.